Welcome to Journey to Esquire, the podcast. I'm Jocelyn Hardrick, founder and president of Diversity Access Pipeline, Inc., the company behind this podcast and other great programs like Journey to Esquire Scholarship and Leadership Program, which provides $2,000 cash scholarships to third-year law students and internships to second-year law students, along with leadership training and mentors. And Journey to Esquire, the blog, which provides insightful articles to help navigate you through law school and beyond. Find out more on our website, www.journeytoesquire.com. Hey, have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, just like I'm doing now. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Today, we pass the mic to an outstanding young attorney. At the age of three, doctors diagnosed her with autism and told her family that she would be lucky if she managed to make a friend, graduate from high school, and get her driver's license. Today, she is the first openly autistic lawyer admitted to the Florida Bar, and she's an accomplished author and artist. She's also an absolute joy to speak to. Please welcome Haley Moss. Hi, I'm Haley Moss. I am an attorney in Miami, Florida. I'm on the autism spectrum. I'm an author of two books. I'm also an artist, and I love getting to talk about disability and inclusion for lawyers and in the workplace and just to make sure that people are accepted all throughout society because it's something that's personally very important to me. I became a lawyer because I love to write and speak. I originally thought that I was going to become a psychiatrist because I love understanding how people work and why people do the things they do. That's actually why I stuck with my original undergraduate major. I did end up majoring in psych. I adored every second of it because when understanding people isn't natural to you, what better way than to try to understand others than to understand the logic of how the human brain works. But once I realized that I wasn't passionate about the sciences and I didn't quite enjoy it, I had to think about what do I like? And I realized I love writing. I love speaking. And I know that whatever I do, I have to help other people because I've always been raised to help and I always want to give back. And when I actually sat down to think about it, I realized, wait, that's what lawyers do, is that lawyers have the potential to make a difference every single day. We do a lot of writing, we do a lot of researching, and we do a lot of talking. When I was applying to law school, I think I made the decision a little bit later than I should have because I realized I was graduating early. I graduated undergrad in three years. So I was a little late to the party, so to speak. I remember signing up to take an LSAT class in December of my final year because I thought that I would have more time. I thought that maybe I'd graduate the next December, not that May. So I was kind of in a weird flux. And I remember taking an LSAT prep class. I remember taking the LSAT. I remember firing off applications almost immediately. And The one thing I really remember in the application process and having fun with was writing my personal statement because it was definitely the one place I felt like I was able to kind of be myself because there's no way to say I have these really interesting life experiences. I've done something that maybe other people haven't done before. 
And I really enjoyed getting to do that. When I applied to law school, I knew that I didn't want to be too far away from home. I knew that I probably was going to stay in Florida. I am a Florida girl through and through. And I also know that I need the support of my family and some of my daily living tasks or I need support to be able to go home or be able to ask questions more. Because when I think about college, I realize in a weird way, even though I went to Gainesville and I live in the Miami area now, I realized I was far enough away from home that I couldn't get the support that I needed. And I realized that I would have probably felt more successful and especially in something at high stakes like law school if I was closer to home. So I knew that I was staying in state. I did apply to a couple out-of-state schools just because I wanted to know how I would fare. But I knew that I was going to stay in state. And when it came time to make the decision, I decided on the University of Miami because it was the right amount of close and the right amount of far. I love UM. UM actually was the folks who diagnosed me with autism back in 1997. So it really felt like coming full circle. And UM also had an amazing public interest scholarship program that I'm very, very blessed that I was a part of. I really think that UM was the right fit for me. And I'm an hour away from my parents. So I was able to go home any weekend I wanted to, or they were able to visit me. I remember having a water leak in my apartment. My dad was here in 45 minutes. It was great that I was able to have that and not go, oh my God, do I call the building at nine o'clock at night? Do I do this? Do I do that? So for me, I know that being close to home was something that I needed and having the support of a great public interest program and a university that has had my back since I was a little kid was really the best decision I could have made. I did and I didn't. I think with law school, what I wasn't quite prepared for is that it did have a very high school feel. So I kind of struggled a lot with making friends. I think it was clicky. It was a little bit competitive, but I think that's the nature of law school. And honestly, I was used to that because it was very similar to the place that I went to high school. I went to a private high school in Fort Lauderdale that was very competitive, very academically challenging. And I felt law school reminded me a lot of that. We even had lockers in my law school. Like it was very high schooly in a sense, socially. And I've always struggled socially. So that was really hard. But I did enjoy getting to meet new people. And the one thing that was nice about being part of a scholarship cohort like I was, is it was easier to find my people. So the people that I was naturally inclined to hang out with that were in my program were people that wanted to make a difference in the world that wanted to do some form of social justice lawyering or policy or work for an NGO that they had these other goals that weren't just I'm here because I'm going to be the best and I'm going to make the most money. That that wasn't the kind of people that I hung out with that were the most competitive. The people I hung out with and got to know were the people who wanted to make a difference and, if you ask me, went to law school for the right reasons. So I enjoyed that, but and I really enjoyed the rigor of law school. I enjoyed getting to be at UM. I really felt like I tried to make the most of it, but I definitely wouldn't say it was easy, and I do think that it was hard, and I think we do – not always acknowledge that it's hard. Like, yes, on paper, law school was great because I was very involved. I had a core group of people that I knew. I had people that respected me and befriended me. And there were times that in law school, I remember feeling kind of like a weird outsider because I was known for having an art background to an extent is I remember the first day of school, someone saw my art online and came up to me and said, why didn't you just go to art school? Why aren't you just an illustrator? And Two weeks later or so, we had a professor who ended up having a medical emergency. And 
it was in my section and our student government senator came up to me and said, hey, can you be the one who designs the card and this effort from our entire section because you're the artist. So it was really interesting kind of going through law school with a bunch of other identities and other things as well. So I guess it's how you view law school, what you make the most of it and having a creative background, even though it was definitely more of a hobby. I've never been to art school. I never really wanted to go to art school because I thought I would fail out of art school, which is a whole other story. I just felt kind of like an outsider at times in law school, but I did enjoy the rigor of it. I'm glad that I'm really blessed that I went to law school. And I think that's something I wish I had said more is how in hindsight, I realized how incredibly lucky I was to even have gone and to have made it through, especially because when you really think critically about law school, it really isn't designed, I think, to be accessible. It's not designed with people with disabilities in mind. I have so many feelings about law school, and I really am blessed that I went and that I did make it through. I was really lucky that I don't think I had the traditional job search experience. I got my 2L summer associate job by pure chance. So I was coming home to my apartment building one day. I think I was coming from either the gym or I was coming from cleaning out my locker on campus because all I remember is I had a t-shirt, shorts on, and a duffel bag. And it was probably like six or seven o'clock at night. It was after internship time. And it was because this was my 1L summer this happened. So it was after my internship, but I had ran some other errand or I went to the gym. I really don't remember. And I was coming home and someone follows me into the apartment building. Naturally, I'm totally freaked out. And because I like buzzed to open the door and someone comes dashing in, I end up in the elevator and the person ends up apologizing to me and being like, oh my God, miss, I'm so, so sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. I'm a realtor. He shows me his information. I'm showing a, a unit in here. Do you like living here? And I end up mentioning that I was in law school and I loved being close to campus. Turns out this guy is a lawyer, as seen on the card, and he asked me to send him a resume and his partners. And I had a good conversation with him. He turns out that it's show- he is showing the unit like two doors away from mine. And I'm totally like shocked about this. I end up sending my resume that night. I have an interview with the partners like two or three week- two or three days later, something like that. It was really quick timing. And I end up getting a summer offer. I spent my 2L summer there and I got a full-time offer. And that's where I started my first job after passing the bar and getting sworn in and everything. So I'm really grateful that a chance experience was what made it. But I do question if I did go through the traditional job search, how that would have turned out. Absolutely. I think so too. And I do think that the typical OCI process would have been very difficult for me too, because there are all these rules or unspoken social rules that we don't talk about of, oh, you have to dress this way. They happen in these fancy hotel suites, which isn't the same as going to an office. And you're not going to meet with the entire team. And you might not even know who you're meeting with. I think it's very confusing. And I don't think it's a process that I would have done well in. Exactly. And when you're someone who also thrives on predictability and knowing what to expect, and that's part of also where you struggle, I think that would make it so much harder for me, especially because it's not accessible in a way that would make sense to me. And I know that I wouldn't have questions ready or I wouldn't be able to think quick enough because I need to process something that it would have definitely been a struggle. And I probably would not have had the success that I would be hoping for.
what I want new law students to know, first off, it's got to be okay. You deserve to be here. Don't think you don't because it's really easy to question, why am I here? What am I doing? Other people here know more than me, are smarter than me, are more something else than I am. They're more organized. They take better notes. They have the answer to the professor's questions. Don't look at it like that. You deserve to be here. You put in the work. You're going to put in the work and you're going to be okay. No matter what obstacles in your path, you're here for a reason. I want new law students and future law students to really know that. And I also want people to know that not only is it doable and it is going to be difficult, but have a support system. Have people that love and care about you and preferably people who may not be lawyers themselves because they have a different take on things and can also kind of bring you down to earth sometimes is go, hey, you know, it's probably more important than you take a shower than, you know, you finish the reading tonight because you should probably take care of yourself. That sometimes even having that little baby reality check is crucial because when we're in it with other law students and lawyers, you might not get that hey, you still need to be a human being at the same time. And I always tell law students and lawyers and future law students, don't lose sight of who you are because you're in law school. Law school and the law is not everything you are. You were a human being with complex interests and ideas and things before you got to law school. Don't lose the things that make you you. Don't lose sight of the fact if you're someone who enjoys to write stories or if you like to draw or if you play an instrument or if you do something outside. Don't lose sight of that. Be yourself, actually. And don't let law school take that away from you or let law school become everything you are because you were someone before law school, you will be someone during law school, and you will be someone after law school. Yes, you're going to grow as a person. Your worldview is going to change. I am not the same 21-year-old, doe-eyed, innocent person that I was when I first started my 1L year. And that's okay. But the core of who I am and the values that I have and the interests that I have haven't changed. You're listening to Journey to Esquire, the podcast, where we explore the best ways to promote diversity, create access, and feed the legal pipeline with talented students of all backgrounds. Here are some guidance from today's guest. I definitely agree that diversity is something that we need to keep addressing. And as far as neurodiversity goes, so neurodiversity is this concept that our brains should be accepted when we're different. We all have different brains. It's a form of diversity just like anything else. And people who are considered neurodiverse or neurodivergent usually are people who are autistic, people with ADHD, learning disabilities, intellectual disabilities. Tourette syndrome, things like that, that your brain might just be different for whatever the reason. And that should be respected and accepted. It doesn't mean that you're broken or less of a human being, which is not necessarily that we're better or worse, but we are all neurodiverse in a sense that our brains are all different. It would really kind of be boring if all of us were the same. So what happens, I realized, and what I've learned from research in a lot of tech companies, especially have really jumped on the bandwagon of neurodiverse hiring is that it's good for business, that you end up having more fixes, more creative problem solving, you have different minds, and the world does need all kinds of minds to solve problems. But I think this also speaks to a general concept of disability when it comes to disability, because 
the legal field in most professions aren't exactly great about hiring people with disabilities. I'm pretty sure the National Association of Law Placement Statistics for lawyers with disabilities hover somewhere around 0.53%, which is abysmal. And people don't disclose disability for a variety of reasons. I think a lot about mental health disabilities, for instance, is people don't disclose them because they're afraid of repercussions in the bar application process, or they might be seen as less competent, or there's stigma surrounding that. But then I think as well about other disabilities, and we have different barriers and stigmas. I think about my friends who have physical disabilities. Maybe a law school campus wasn't accessible. Maybe they weren't able to get the accommodations they needed. I remember talking to a firm partner at one point, and he said to me, you know, in 25 years of practice, I don't think I've ever seen a blind or deaf lawyer in our courthouses. And I think about that, and I know that there are blind and deaf lawyers. I think a lot about Pavan Gurma, who is the first deaf-blind woman who graduated from Harvard Law. And I think how much you probably had to go through to make sure that even our casebooks were in Braille, that she'd be able to participate in class, have a guide dog, all of these different things. So I realized that the profession isn't always accessible. And I think with neurodiversity and disability in general, it's how can we be more accessible and how can we get people to talk openly? Because I know as an autistic person that the way that I navigate the world is different than how a neurotypical person might navigate the world. And sometimes it's really hard having to disclose that I can be overwhelmed by something like fluorescent lights. I struggle with sometimes starting and stopping tasks like executive function, things that all of my friends with ADHD especially understand. And how do I get accommodations for that in the workplace? How am I going to not be seen as less? That there's so many different considerations that go into it that I understand why people will try to self-accommodate and not get the help that they might need or not be able to level the playing field. And I think of it a lot like people who wear glasses, right? So we have people who wear glasses to see better. And that, in a sense, is kind of like an accommodation. If I took away your glasses and I told you, well, go do your job, and then you'd be like, I can't see. And we've normalized wearing glasses, right? So it's something that we see very commonly that just levels the playing field. It's not that you have supervision because you're wearing glasses. It's just that's how you can experience the world the same way that someone who doesn't wear them can, or that you can at least have that same advantage of being able to see or read something. And I think we need to normalize that people need different things to have a fair chance and to level the playing field. It's not that you're getting an unfair advantage if you have a quiet space or you're allowed to wear headphones because the world is too much around you or you might need more quiet or you might need something that's not really harsh fluorescent lighting that hums because you have sensory difficulties. So I really think it's something that we need to talk more about. I think it's a bigger accessibility issue to the profession to the workplace. And it's something that I realize across all fields, but I realize that the legal field's especially bad about it. We just passed the mic to attorney Haley Moss. In her time with us, she left us with four key takeaways. Number one, having a strong support system. Number two, everybody is here for a reason. Number three, don't lose sight of the things that make you you. Number four, accommodations and transparency. Journey to Esquire would like to thank Attorney Moss for taking the time out to be a part of our podcast. We encourage our listeners to read the show notes attached to this episode for more information about the guest and organizations mentioned. 
I'd like to give a special thanks to all of our supporters, especially our JD level sponsors, U.S. District Courts, Middle District of Florida's Bench Bar Fund, and Agape Christian Bar Preparation Services, Inc. for their generous support. I'd also like to thank WMU Cooley Law School, Tampa Bay Campus, for providing a space for the recording of several of the episodes of this podcast. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another great episode of Journey to Esquire, the podcast. Support, share, subscribe. And for more, visit www.journeytoesquire.com.